Friends, would you stand with me as we hear the Lord's word read? We're reading this morning from Luke chapter 2. I'm reading verses 1 through 20. Again, you would stand with me. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there was has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? Again, Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for this word and pray that though this is a a very common text of scripture, we pray, Lord, that you would cause it uh, to have an extraordinary effect upon our souls and why we observe the Lord's day. We thank you for your love. And again, pray for your Spirit's blessing now upon these, your people, who join us from afar and who join us, who are here in this building, and also, Father, upon this servant, that your word would be faithfully handled and that your saints would be strengthened. And those who sit in darkness may see a great light. Oh, be merciful to us now, we pray once again. In Jesus' name, amen. What a privilege and what a blessing to be able to gather here this morning and to uh, contemplate, to think about uh, the reason for this holiday. It seems the further away in time we move from this blessed event that we've come full circle to seeing its complete relevance for us in the day in which we live. And I'm not suggesting, friends, for a second that the incarnation of the Lord Jesus has never been, or at some points it was irrelevant or unnecessary, but throughout history, we see these 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 risings and fallings uh, in cultures. Sometimes cultures 
become so affluent and, and things are going so good that we fail to see the importance of Jesus Christ. Personally, I'm quite thrilled to see as many people here this morning as are here. And, and what that, why I say that is because I think you understand the importance of who Jesus Christ is. And, and we're celebrating something greater than just packages under a pine tree in our living rooms. Which is sad because the culture really celebrates this. I saw, uh, again, I'm, I scanned headlines, and it's just that uh, on one news site they said Christmas is still the most favorite holiday of all Americans. Fantastic. That's fantastic news. Now if you just go to church, <laughs> all right, you go to church and see see what this holiday was intended to do. And, and I'm, not, I'm not endorsing all the habits. We've talked about this before. But merely to say the incarnation, the, the, the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh has always, always been relevant. And so um, it is necessary, it was necessary that Jesus Christ should come in the flesh. Why? The world is crazy. And again, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to. Um, you just think about the natural disasters that have occurred. We just had a blizzard sweep across the country, one and a half million people without electricity. Uh, 17 or more people have died in traffic accidents as a result of the storms. And it, it actually brought me to tears reading that because I think of how people were traveling, no doubt, to be with family members on a holiday, and now they don't have them because they died in, a, in an accident. So we see these natural disasters. We have political unrest at every corner. We have immigration problems, wars and terrorism, death and famine and persecution. And to make matters more crazy, we have our own lives to deal with. I mean, that's barring all the, all the outside nonsense, we have all the inside nonsense going on. Our fractured families, our addictions to various things, battles raging in our souls and in our minds, depression and loneliness, things from which of which we, we gather, gather no rest. We have all these things that go on and we don't, we don't feel this peace. All the while, we're busy decorating and having our concerns about holiday pies and presents and what outfit do I wear this time because I think I wore this thing last time. And so we're consumed with all of these things and the significance of a holiday like Christmas is lost or buried under piles of Christmas tradition. It would be a shame. Truly, it would be a shame to miss the significance of what took place 2,000 years ago and what happened on that glory-filled night. To understand what took place, we visit a text, this text in Luke 2, which encapsulates the good news. We read from Isaiah uh, chapter 9. I read from Isaiah 9, and it's just one of countless passages of the Old Testament that prepare us, prepared the saints back then, and show us now that all of these things were looking forward. Peter said this in his first epistle, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. 
in these things which now have been uh, announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me again say how privileged we are to hear what the prophets of old longed to know. It is an extreme privilege given to us. The days in which the incarnation took place were not days unlike our own. Leaders were making decrees. People were having to move about. There was sadness. There was hardship. There were taxes to be assessed and taxes to be paid. Nothing, there is nothing new under the sun. And yet the scripture says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. In God's providence, the king's decree was the impetus that caused this man, Joseph of Nazareth, to take the woman to whom he was engaged, who was with child, to Bethlehem. Remember, Joseph was a descendant of David, and so he had to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem being a town five or six miles away from Jerusalem. This is where Joseph's family was from. He had to go there in order to register for the census because it was the law. And we are told, while there, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Mind you, that this was no ordinary conception. We have religions represented in this town who see this conception as an ordinary conception. That's not what the Bible says. It does not say this. This was no ordinary conception. There was never one like it before or since. He was conceived in a supernatural manner. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Conceived for a specific and wonderful purpose, Again, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which, if, if we're memorizing our Bible verse, means he will save his people from their sins. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. My friends, the Lord throughout the ages had spoken of what uh, was going what he was going to do and for centuries the pious looked for the Messiah and as the the great hymn says the hopes and fears of all the years were met in thee tonight something quite significant took place why is the birth of Jesus Christ so significant and what does it mean for us and what does it mean for you and how do we cut through all of the noise and the chaos of the world around us and what does a day like Sunday, or if you prefer, Christmas, what does it take us back to? What should we be thinking about? I want to focus in on the shepherd's response, verses 8 through 14. Listen again as I read this. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We want to consider the shepherds. Notice how the shepherds, when, when this, the, the angel appears before them, notice what they do. They're terribly frightened. They are terribly afraid. Question is why? Why would they have been terribly afraid? They feared the punishment. They feared punishment of sin. Notice again what the scripture says. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. There are two facts that we need to consider about these shepherds. And again, we picture the shepherds, and maybe you picture the, the childhood Christmas plays that you were involved in, and we see these sweet little children dressed in baggy robes and tinfoil wings and things like this. And, and we make it a very, uh, very pleasant and a, and a very sweet picture. Consider the shepherd's job. They are in the same region of Bethlehem. Again, Bethlehem being five or six miles south of Jerusalem. According to tradition, the sheep they watched over were for the temple sacrifice that was instituted by the Lord himself as a covering for sin. Remember all of the Old Testament sacrifices. There was a large amount of sheep that were needed uh, to do this very thing. The shepherds worked with these sheep day after day. Imagine what it would be like to be a shepherd. You probably wouldn't want to get too close with these little sheep. You know, they tell you, and I remember this, uh, down in Miami when we lived there, there was a cat that adopted us. And my wife cautioned and said, I wouldn't feed that cat if I were you, right? Because once you feed it, it's yours. I think she even said, don't even think about naming it. Because once you name it, then it's most certainly yours. These shepherds had these sheep, and they couldn't hold on to them. Theirs was not, these were not pets. These were not things that they were going to name. They were being raised for one reason, and that is to be sacrificed, to be slaughtered as a covering for sin. Imagine what it would be like if you were a mortician or if you made caskets for a living. What would you go to work to do? You would go, be going to work to prepare for death or to um, think about death or to handle death. That's what you do. Imagine now being a shepherd and everything, the livestock you are raising and caring for exists for the purpose of being sacrificed. Death would always be at the forefront of your mind and the justice of God, which requires payment of sin, would always be at the forefront of your mind. And there was no way to have your sins dealt with or covered apart from this because the Lord, as Moses wrote in Exodus 34, he does not clear the guilty. Death, it's always at the forefront of their mind. And their status uh, on top of this, their vocation being a rather dismal one, the status of the shepherd uh, was not considered a noble status. They were often considered thieves, and oftentimes uh, they were thieves. As they moved around, people would hold on to their goods because shepherds would come by and they would lift things. 
Alfred Edersheim says that they were under the ban of rabbinism on account of their necessary isolation from the religious ordinances and their manner of life, which rendered strict legal observance unlikely, if not absolutely impossible. They were considered unclean. Being unclean, you can't come to the temple. Being unclean, you don't even get invited to parties. Nobody wants to be around you. You are a despised class. And so they think about death all the time, and nobody wants to be around them. They can't go into the temple because they're unclean. And we read of them here that they are out in the fields at night keeping watch over their flock while the rest of Israel are in their homes and in their beds. I believe, however, these men are pious men, though considered unclean by the doctoral teachers of the day. And they acutely feel the weight of their sin every day. Have you ever walked around feeling like, I'm just a loser? Why would anyone be around, want to be around me? I'm just a loser. You ever feel that way? Look at your life and say, I'm a mess. I've screwed my life up so bad. Why would anyone ever want to be around me? These two facts, I believe, help us to understand their reaction then in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. God's glory ought to make us terribly frightened. Their response is, a, is a, an appropriate response to the glory of God. They were not being unduly hard upon themselves. In truth, every sin deserves punishment. The scriptures are plain on this, this point. How many sins did it take Adam and Eve to commit that got them exiled from the garden? One. Do you think that they're being unduly hard upon themselves? I don't think so. I think what we see in them is a, is a tremendously appropriate response. Every sin deserves punishment, and true, uh, they were not able, as they were, to come into the temple and worship, so they had no covering that could be made for them. So when an angel of the Lord comes upon them suddenly in the dark of the night, interrupting the silence, and the glory of the Lord shone around them uh, so as to cause the midnight sky to become like midday, they have every reason to be terribly frightened. My friends, anyone who stands in the presence of the Lord, we see this with John the Apostle, we see this with Isaiah, and now with these shepherds, when they stand in the presence of his glory, his brilliance shines his light upon their darkness, and not just the darkness of the night sky, which itself would have been unsettling, just to have black, black of night just turn into this brilliance of day, but it is the light of the glory of God shining upon the darkness of their hearts. This, my friends, is enough uh, to cause them to be terribly frightened or afraid with great fear. And this is what the last day of judgment on this earth will be. Paul would write in Romans and also in 2 Corinthians that the Lord would judge the secrets of our hearts, our words, and our actions will be judged. We will all appear before the judgment seat of God and give an account. This is what the last day will be like. And these shepherd men, 
are now standing in the presence of the Lord's glory, and what do they feel? They feel the weight of their sin. They instantly see the contrast between themselves and the glorious God, and that they have fallen short. They don't simply acknowledge their sins uh, with their intellects, but they are like a child discovered in a secret sin and exposed by their mother or father. They are terribly, terribly afraid because they know too well what they deserve for not living up to God's standard of holiness, his measuring rod with, uh, which measures perfection. This is their situation. This is the human condition. And sometimes we like to avoid certain people. We like to avoid the church. We like to avoid the truth because as I come near this person or as I'm in this person's presence, they look at me and I just know that somehow they know something. And I'm exposed. My sin is exposed. Many people don't want to hear about from the church. They don't want to hear the word of God read. And, 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 and as we were talking about this yesterday in my house, we're just saying, look at our culture and how, how what do we do? Rather than repent of sin, let's endorse sin and let's normalize sin. And then if we normalize sin, then I don't need to feel guilty anymore. The problem is, friends, you can't normalize sin because the absolute standard of righteousness comes from the Lord who says, this is sin. This is wrong. And therefore, if we can't normalize it, we want to limitate or limit or annihilate or get rid of silence, do away with every voice that says this is wrong. That's the human condition. And so we feel ashamed of the things we have done and believe that if you were to die, you would go straight to hell. And you would be right because sin deserves punishment. Do not fall prey, as an aside, do not fall prey to that mindset that says, well, there's some sins that are acceptable. Friends, please, we don't judge sin by what the culture says is right. We judge sin based upon the word of God. And if we don't do that, we are likely to believe the lie that as long as I'm not doing something like so-and-so, I'm okay in the eyes of God. That is not the standard. And I fear that in the church we do that we start to normalize sin we start to think that certain things are okay for me to be involved in and it's in truth it's not and as we do that we decrease and lessen seeing our need of a savior and as we see and lessen our need of a savior guess what we're not doing we're not rejoicing in the one who is the savior very important point for us to keep in mind these men they felt truly their sinfulness. And they're right to be terribly frightened. And yet, and yet, good news is brought. Listen to verses 10 through 12. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You no longer, these shepherds no longer needed to fear 
the punishment of sin. They no longer needed to feel this punishment of sin. Again, I want you to notice in verse 9, jumping back one verse, we're told this, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. This is one of those little details in a text that I think is so important. What were the shepherds doing when the angels appear? They're watching their sheep. That means their eyeballs on the front of their head are looking at the sheep ahead of them. Those sheep which are used for sacrifice, those sheep which are are being groomed for the temple in order to cover for sins. So there they are, the sheep, this flock, these shepherds, the flock. It's night, and the angel suddenly appears before them. Where? Before them. Before their eyes. The sheep, the shepherds, and the angel standing in front of them. I think it's a beautiful little detail. A beautiful detail. He comes, the angel comes and stands before the shepherds as they are sitting up and looking over their flock. The angel from the Lord comes and comes between the shepherd and their sacrificial sheep. As if to say, by his stance, those little sheep out there, they're no longer going to be necessary. Because I'm here to tell you there's a new way that's been inaugurated. That's the gospel. A new way has been inaugurated. The angel's message message bears this out as he comes and stands where he does. He begins by saying, do not be afraid. They are terribly afraid. Do not be afraid. Though it was appropriate to be full of great fear, yet the angel speaks to reassure these humble shepherds that he has not come to bring condemnation. This is implied. He has not come to to pull out his sword and lop off their heads in judgment. Rather, he has come for quite a different reason. He says, Behold, see here, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, the one through whom salvation comes. Why not be afraid? They should not be afraid because this is good news. He has come to earth to proclaim news that will be the source of great joy and not dread for all peoples across the earth. This is news for the Jews. This is news for the Gentiles, for male and female, for slave or free. This message was that today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel announces what the prophet Isaiah had foretold hundreds of years earlier, that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Here he was, the rod from Jesse, the son of David, who was born for you, for you shepherds. Nobody else wants anything to do with you. You can't come into the presence of the Lord as you are. But the Lord, he announces this to shepherds, to the unclean and to the riffraff of that society, considered to be so. 
He has come for you Israelites. He has come for you nations. He has come for the folks in Lander. He has come for the folks in Riverton. He has come for the folks in Fort Washakie. He has come for the folks throughout Fremont County and throughout the world. This is the good news. He did not come for angels. He did not come for animals, but for men and women and children whose souls and lives have been ravaged by the sin of others against them and, and, and against who have suffered under the ravages of sin that they have committed. Jesus Christ has come for this reason. He has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel has announced what every God-fearing person longed to hear, that it is done. God's salvation has come to earth. Your Savior, your Messiah, who is the Lord himself, has come to deliver you from the throes of Satan and from the wrath of God. It is not the blood of these little sheep that you care for so diligently that are now going to save you, but it is the blood of the Lamb of God, Christ the Lord, who is going to deliver you from the wrath of God to come. My friends, Jesus Christ was born in order to save us from the wrath of God. I would call that a fairly significant point. Wouldn't you? He was born into this world to perform atonement, that is, to bring peace and satisfaction between the sinner and a holy God. You understand that our sin has created a chasm between us and a holy God. Only one, not the blood of bulls and goats, said the writer of Hebrews, but the blood, the precious blood of our Savior. The sign given to strengthen their faith was that they would find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. manger. This indicating that he came as that lowly child who would come and do what we could not do, that he would keep the righteous demands of, of God's law, that he would grow up as you and me, faced with the same temptations, faced with the same trials, and yet never, ever sinning, that he would come into this world not to be served by us, but rather to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. He came in such complete humility. Now some, some will stop there and say, that is a nice story. That makes me feel warm. Let's get home and eat some cookies and open some presents. And we don't go any further than that. And you see, that would be the greatest shame of all, is that you, you come into church and you hear this wonderful story and you say, and, and it's a true story, it's not fiction, this is truth, and it's recorded so that we would understand these things. But if you go home and you say, that's nice, and you put it on the shelf until just after Thanksgiving next year, you, you are to be pitied, because that's not what should happen. Listen, listen to what the angels say, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. My friends, there is no reason that any need remain now frightened. Instead of being terribly frightened, you may now have reason 
to have your lamenting turned into laughter and sorrow into joy. You came in this morning and you're wrestling in your soul with what you have done. Happens to me all the time. I sit there and I think of things and things pop through my mind. I've shared this. You might think I'm nuts. And I'm reminded of stupid things I have done, sinful things I have done, sinful things I have said. And they stick me right there like an arrow. And I go, I, what an idiot. Why did I ever do that? Why did I ever say that? And what's my recourse? Do better? Or praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. That's where we go. Because I've tried to do better and I don't do so good. I try. But my hope isn't that I'm going to eliminate my flesh by my flesh. My hope is is that Christ is enough, like we've been studying in the book of Colossians. You come in this morning and you hear this, and some of you are still beating yourself up, saying, who would ever accept me? Who would ever welcome me? And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ welcomes you. And the angel says, don't be afraid anymore. I welcome you. With all of your puke, all down the front of you, with all of your sin and all of your nonsense that you've bought into, all of the lies you've bought into, I forgive you. I have come. I have died in order to set you free. That's why I came. The angel who brought this good news was now joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So imagine this. One angel stands and delivers this news and all of a sudden and you can almost hear the light this the sky light up and with the sound of flame and the whole sky opens up and it's a multitude of heavenly hosts that is it's a multitude of a heavenly army that's what a host is it's a it's a military term when we think of armies coming to any place we imagine the pounding of jackboots those old World War II Nazi war footage that we, we've seen played again and again. We think of, 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 those, of tank treads and, and military transports, or we sound uh, of, of heavy artillery being dragged down streets and of, of impending doom. But heaven's army, God's army, came that night to proclaim not death and destruction, but notice this, peace probably the only time in history when army came which are used to destroy and they say peace they give glory to God in the highest because it was of his everlasting design that at just the right time his only begotten son should be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and at just the right time he should be brought into this world that redemption is solely his work and not the work of any man and not based on the merit of any man. It is from the Lord alone that all blessings flow, the greatest of all blessings, friends, being our salvation in Jesus Christ. And along with their praise to God, they make this proclamation of the result of God's grace and that being that men with whom he is pleased to do so will know peace 
will know his peace. And let me put your minds at ease because you say, but you don't know what's going on in my home. You don't know the trials that we are facing. The peace that he's, they speak of here is not the kind of peace that most of us think. It is not a life free of problems. It's not having a pantry that's full or a bank account that is plush with money, cars that don't break down. It's not having well-behaved children. All of those things would be wonderful, wouldn't they? <laughs> it is the peace of the greatest kind, and that is peace with God. God is angry with the sinner. Christ came to absorb in himself that anger on Calvary's cross that we might have now peace with God. You understand that one day this world and everything in it is going to pass away. All of our junk, that really is junk, <laughs> because it, it rusts, it rots, it deteriorates, it's stolen. All of those things will go away. But you know what won't go away? Is the peace that abides upon the person who has been washed in the blood of our Savior who came that day to be the Lamb of God. That won't go away. That's a peace that can't be and won't ever be removed. John would tell us, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ, my friends, he is the great gift giver. Jesus Christ is the great gift himself. He is our reason for rejoicing because he has given you and me a way out from underneath the weight of our guilt and sin and fear. And You don't have to carry this any longer. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is why we worship every Sunday the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate his incarnation every single Sunday. We celebrate his crucifixion and resurrection every single Sunday because he accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves. In the midst of all of the noise and all of the chaos of this world, hear the angels saying again, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. My friends, if you are in Jesus Christ today, understand and remember this. He came in order to conquer your sin. Jesus Christ was born for this. I sent out a bunch of texts this morning, and I'm going to keep sending them out. I don't know if I'll stick with this, but I kind of like it. Pull up my phone, usually having to type it two or three times because I hit all the wrong letters. And I say, Merry Christmas exclamation mark then I followed up with Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners period that's why we celebrate that's good news remember this today you have peace with God and that can't be stripped away remember this too that Christ is reigning as king now he grew up he died, was crucified, was buried, and he rose again. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and the scriptures are plain. He's coming again. And when he does, friends, 
those angels that come with him, their swords will not be sheathed. Then it will be judgment. Then it will be judgment. And on that day, he's going to put everything right. Wayward governments, wayward leaders, sin and sickness and death will all come to an end. And the righteous king will continue to reign for all eternity. And we, his people, will know eternal peace. And finally, if you have never come to put your faith in Jesus Christ, but still labor under the burden of your sin and guilt, I would urge you today, look to Jesus Christ. Believe upon Jesus Christ. He will not turn you away. He is a faithful shepherd who came and gave his life for you. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this day you've given to us, and we thank you for being a faithful shepherd, a faithful sacrifice who came into this world to save your people. We thank you for this angel announcement. We thank you, Father, for this record that Christ himself has come and you have brought peace between now your people and yourself. We pray that today our hearts would rejoice for all of the goodness and all of your kindness to us. And we pray, Father, that we would not listen to the lies of the evil one, that you have set us free in order that we might run in freedom before you. Thank you again uh, for this Lord's Day and for the rest that has been secured for us. And I do pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.